Hey folks, welcome to the show. A Bill Bay biography. You know who I am. You know who I am. This is Andrew coming at you live yet again from the kitchen of Fox Point. I like the kitchen. We do all our recording here. Just a little uh, inside tip there. It's great. Good acoustics. Anyhow, episode five. We're talking about all about business. What's the business with Bill? Turns out, a lot of business. We get into his time at various law firms. His time at various, a lot of things. Law firms, banking companies. Reflect on how each one of those jobs had a formative experience on his life. But it's good stuff. So please, keep it locked right here. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by the anonymous donor of $400. I was very excited to see early on in my campaign to raise funds, the anonymous donation of $400, whom I still do not know. I don't know who donated that. I'll find out someday, I'm sure. But if you're listening, anonymous donor... Um, send more money. No. Um, thank you so much for doing that. That really, I, I, that really made my day, made my week. So I appreciate that. And I hope you're listening. Hope you're getting something out of this. So this one goes out to you, anonymous donor. As always, Facebook page, a Bill Bay biography. Reach us there. Get caught up on all your Bill Bay news see if he earned his martini today spoiler alert he did he earned it also have the email billbaypod at gmail.com p-o-d short for podcast i don't know if you picked up on that let us know how we're doing any thoughts concerns or if you just want to get in touch with me i haven't heard from you in a while you want to start up a conversation i could keep the forum both for business and pleasure it's open to you guys i need to hear from you make it happen so keep it locked right here this is the business so tell me about your rise to power um the let's start from peter marwick i guess pete marwick pete marwick sorry yeah, uh, that's where I went back to work after um, I got home from service, uh, and I wanted to get my CPA as I didn't have it at the time. So I um, had take. I went immediately and took the test. Uh, it's offered in Illinois uh, twice, uh, once a year uh, in the fall, and it's offered in Washington D.C. twice a year, uh, spring and fall. Um, the reason I mentioned Washington, D.C. is because they didn't have a residency requirement. So I immediately took the CPA without any review or anything like that. And uh, it's a four-part uh, exam, and you get four different grades. And the only one I passed was the business law one, and I didn't pass the others. But I didn't really think I was going to do that well, and I immediately signed up before I got the results for the review exam. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but what I did do is instead of waiting a whole year to take it again in Illinois, I made arrangements to go out to Washington, D.C. and take it in the spring. Um, stayed at a hotel out there, and it's a two-day exam. And uh, so I, I took it, and uh, I passed uh, all four parts. Nice. Uh, the, the deal is if you only pass two parts and not four, uh, it's con considered conditioned, but you have to pass uh, business law is not considered one of the two that you need to pass to get the condition as a matter of fact if it is one of the only two I don't think you get the conditional which means you don't have to take the other parts again which would have meant me going back out to Washington DC to finish it up as it fate was have it I passed the whole exam and and that was that um, I ended up then working at Pete Marwick uh, for I'm going to say at least two to three years, um, 
And then they gave me an opportunity to go into what they call the management controls area, uh, where you're operating somewhat as a business consultant rather than a CPA auditor. Um, and I was interested in that because one of the things happens if you're an auditor, uh, your job as an auditor is to find out what's wrong mm-hmm. uh, and look for the errors. And it, after a while, if you live that kind of life as a in the business life, uh, you find yourself functioning that way in the personal life too. And right. uh, easily enough, uh, you're always looking at what's wrong rather than being positive about what's right. And okay. so the management controls area was a, a more interesting area. We build by the hour. Uh, my billing at that time was uh, $25 an hour, which uh, I'm going to say that was probably in 1959 to 60, something like that, maybe 61. Um, and basically, uh, I did that for about a year. Um, and uh, I was at one company where they uh, uh, were interested in me as to how I was performing, and they wanted to know I'd be, if I'd be interested in joining their company as, as a treasurer. Actually, uh, I was a controller at that time, not a treasurer. Mm-hmm. And the name of the company was American Typesetting Corporation. It was a, a family-owned company. It uh, was located at Jackson uh, and Racine in downtown Chicago. Um, and as as the name says, it's a typesetting company, and it, they, they do other kinds of things for the printing industry. But um, one of the brother owners also ran a company. His name was Robert Snyder called Robert Snyder and Associates. And Robert Snyder's company was in the photography side of the business. An example would be they one of their customers was Montgomery Ward, and they shot the catalog for Montgomery Ward, and um, which means that uh, uh, they, all the pictures that you saw in the catalog uh, for, to the great extent were shot at Robert Snyder and Associates or on the road somewhere here. Okay. Um, uh, after working at American Typesetting for uh, two years or three years, Robert Snyder said he'd like me to come over and work at his company. He had his controller. Uh, either they had fired him or he had uh, decided to leave. But uh, I ended up then going over there, and I, f- I found that much more interesting because we were dealing with uh, uh, the uh, aesthetics where uh, everything was pretty and all that, and as distinguished from typesetting, which is more of a of a factory oriented type thing Mm -hmm. this was all uh and we did shoot a lot of advertising and one of the things i remember vividly is one of my uh gals working for me apparently she had great feet because ever so often she'd get uh i'd get a call saying can you release her so we need her for some photography and so she'd leave the desk and go into the studios and they'd be uh shooting her feet for what i gather was shoe commercials or Mm -hmm. whatever was about that but anyway uh, at the same time that I was there then I uh, started going to law school um, and I started in law school in 1961 and it was a night school where you were um, going from uh, six to eight o'clock at night four days a week Monday Tuesday Thursday and Friday uh, and in some cases uh, well I take that back I actually was in law school even while I was in public accounting because there were some Sometimes I was operating uh, on the road at public accounting in a suburb or something, and I had to scoot to get back downtown to Chicago to go to DePaul for the law school. But I finished my um, law uh, uh, education, which was a four-year by uh, at night school, and I did pass the bar, uh, which was, again, something that was important to me, I, although I never really used it, but it was just mm-hmm. kind of like a hobby. But uh, at uh, law school, I met somebody who was working for uh, a firm called uh, Great Lakes Mortgage. And, uh, um, uh, oh no, let's see, was it Great Lakes Mortgage? That would be, uh, yes, yes. Uh, and they had a treasurer there that, uh, well, 
they weren't happy with um and i think he had gotten bored with the job mm-hmm. and um so uh, and they were intrigued by the fact that i had a law degree uh even though i really never used it much at the mortgage company mm-hmm. but they wanted a treasurer and they were willing to hire me as a treasurer and i remember talking to the fellow i was replacing and he told me i'd get bored with the job but what i kept hearing from them is that he himself was not very innovative and, and what the treasurer did was responsible for everything other than the uh, the basic product we had a uh, we had the sales division we had the um, servicing division we had the legal division and then we had everything else and that was my responsibility so I had um, oh I'm going the company itself was actually owned by um, the officers of the company and all the stock was in the company and uh, what they would do every year is uh, have bonuses that they'd pay out and uh, I remember uh, sitting with the president of the company at the time where we had to decide who gets how much in a bonus. And, of course, uh, my name was on the list there. And uh, we had an extra $500. And uh, he said, well, where do, you, where do you think we should put that? And I said, well, how about this guy here, which was me? And he looked at me. He said, well, we'll think about it. And he used to say I did get the $500. But um, it, it was an interesting company. Um, and frankly um, the way the profit sharing all of the common stock was in the profit sharing plan and so if anybody left uh, they would get a, a based on how long they had been with the company and what they were making they get a percent of the profit sharing company uh, of the profit sharing plan but we had to be very careful that we had enough money in that plan so that we didn't have to give them any stock we wanted the common stock to stay in the plan because uh, that way we had total control of the of the company <clears throat> uh, and then along came something called uh, ERISA em- Employee Retirement Income Security Act which uh, required us to get that stock out of the profit sharing plan mm-hmm. um, it was considered uh, uh, it, what it was doing is because we were valuing the stock at book value and of course a profit sharing and a retirement plan should be valuing the stock at what its market value is at that time and it was difficult to figure out what the market value was we ended up getting an appraiser and the appraiser came up with some numbers that were so high that the uh, stock became such a big part of the plan that we had to basically um, uh, find a way to get that stock out of the plan Uh, and the uh, answer was uh, we put the company up for sale Uh, (laughs) and it it was uh, interesting because uh, uh, there were six of us as directors um, and I was one of the six directors and when we distributed the profit sharing money uh, at that time I got five hundred and sixty five thousand dollars and if you think about that, that was about 1961, 62, uh, maybe it's even later, that's 64, 65. And uh, that was a lot of money in those days. Yeah, nice uh, very, very much. Uh, and it, it went to our being able to afford to buy the house in Barrington and things like that. Um, but. Um, I did. Uh, I, I did. After then, when we sold the company, they offered me a chance. The buying company was another mortgage company that was publicly owned. To go to uh, Texas, Houston, Texas is where they were located. Um, they didn't <coughs> didn't need uh, a treasurer up here in Chicago, <coughs> and they weren't offering me a treasurer job. They offered me an opportunity to get a significant job with them down in Houston, Texas. But I really didn't have much of an interest to go down there. I I, I, I preferred staying in this area. I didn't want to re- relocate. And I, I, one of the things I, I learned a long time ago is there's two things you can do. You, you get a new job or you relocate. If you do both, your chances of being successful are less successful than if you keep your current job and relocate mm-hmm. or if you take a new job where you're currently located. But doing both at the same time uh, is it, fraught with danger, particularly 
if the job doesn't work out and then you're in a, a location you don't want to be and you got to find your way back or stay there and find something mm-hmm. so anyway uh, I uh, decided I didn't want to do that uh, and so I went and saw a, a headhunting firm here and uh, applied uh, with them to see what they could come up with as a future job and uh, as it turned out there was a um, savings and loan uptown federal savings and loan which was in chicago uh not particularly far from uh uh downtown it, it, it required me to uh, obviously it wasn't actually downtown i had to drive to the place because it, it was on the north north side in the uptown area of chicago mm. and it, it turned out that uh, it was a contest between me and another fellow as to who was going to get the job because the job was not related to accounting at all it was more to sales what it was what you were supposed to do is find uh find avenues to invest the money that uptown federal was basically uh getting in deposits and uh and it turned out that my competition was a, a fellow uh director from uh, great lakes uh mortgage who had right. basically um uh, was on in the market too and so you, so knew, I, you knew him pretty well then huh? uh, oh I, but I didn't know he was my competition. I yeah. just knew there was another guy until I heard he did, it was me over him. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, when I while I was doing this uh, in Illinois. Um, it turned out that uh, there wasn't really, they had a subsidiary out in California, and uh, they had four offices out there in California. And um, I suggested to them that maybe we could get out, I could get out there and we could do a better job of, uh, of, of getting money um, and uh, getting, uh, uh, at that time, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were big investors, and, and uh, we had to figure out how we were going to put the packages together to get it to them and and then uh service the mortgages uh, mm-hmm. so um i did end up then going out there uh and i would commute back every weekend uh or maybe even every other weekend i'm not sure but i think it was every weekend i'd come back on a on a friday night and i'd go back on a monday morning um where were you staying in california uh i stayed in uh, la jolla area oh, okay. uh at a Mary out there but then I ended up getting an apartment out there uh, I forget the name of the group but it's they, they have a lot of apartments uh, they're kind of nationally known yeah. and uh, uh, it was uh, an interesting world because basically uh, every night you know I'd be basically they had a pool there and they had uh, but you'd hear some funny things somebody be beaten up on his wife and you hear him screaming out of this thing and then you'd hear all kinds of happy crap going yeah. on so uh, but anyway Anyway, what happened there, I was out there for about a little over a year, and I screwed up big time on some of the money management. And it was kind of interesting because apparently, uh, and the guy who had been out there who was running the whole thing, I was working with him managing the money, uh, got a call from um, the Uptown Federal uh, wanting him to come and and, uh, meet with them so that they could decide how they were going to get rid of me. Uh, (laughs) And so I I did get the news. uh, and I had a company car out there, of course, so uh, I was given the opportunity to drive the company car back to Uptown Federal, and then at that point, um, I could... Um I was going to get my marching papers, but I did right. get uh, some time off. And interestingly enough, um, at that time, uh, I was basically not sure exactly what I wanted to do. But um, uh, the, the money that Great Lakes, that five hundred and fifty thousand or thirty-five thousand dollars that came out of that IRA account, was distributed at that time. And so I, the money came in, and then I had to decide where. I was going to put it and how I was going to invest it. And um, I ended up uh, basically... talking to a fellow here who was uh, in, in in Fox Point who worked at uh, 
uh, Merrill Lynch and uh, decided I would maybe put the money in a Merrill Lynch account. Um, but then he ended up leaving and the, the account was turned over to the boss at the office in Chicago here hmm. and uh, Joe Gennady. And uh, so uh, Joe um, called me and, uh, um, and obviously it was a significant amount going in at that time and wanted to know, you know, who I was, what I was doing and all that. And I explained to him that I was out of work because I actually was out of work at least six months. I had the kids clean the garage doors and we painted it and they hated every minute of me being out of work. But that <laughs> yeah. that was how we got things done. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I talked with Joe and uh, he said, why don't you come to work for us? And I said, well, you know, Joe, I only read the sports pages. I don't really read the financial pages. Uh, I, I do. Uh, in, I, and I was investing some of the money I was making while I was was with the uh, uh, Great Lakes Mortgage, but I um, really wasn't doing a lot of sophisticated thinking, but I knew I had to do something because I had a lot more money there at this point. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I took the test, and uh, I guess I passed pretty well, and then next thing I know, I got an offer to go to work for Great Lakes. But see, at that time then, if you wanted to invest, excuse me, Merrill Lynch, yeah. yeah. But that time, if you wanted to do investing, you had to be certified to do that. So clearly, I had a study then um, and then go out to New York and uh, take the exam and at the same time uh, go through uh, I, I want to say I was out there at least for three or four weeks out there um, uh, in, in uh, classes that they had and interestingly enough it was at the uh, Twin Towers one of, they had an office in the Twin Towers one of those that went down in the in the uh, Holocaust uh, in New York yeah, um, I think we were on the 44th floor and um i know that uh, i came back to uh illinois then and it was in, in northbrook that it, the office that we were at and i ended up um getting there uh, just before uh easter uh the week before uh, for easter and in northbrook um it's a fairly good Jewish community, and as people must know, the Jewish people don't really celebrate Easter. So I was one of the few people, office was closed, I was one of the few people in the office. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I did a lot of work that first day, people coming in uh, wanting to talk to somebody, and uh, next thing I know, I, I opened a few accounts, and uh, but... Uh, because I had already passed the exam, I was entitled to do that. But the first week I opened, uh, first week, yeah, 40, 43 uh, new accounts. Um, and uh, I, that was considered pretty impressive. Uh, and then the second week, I opened up 58 new accounts. Wow. And then the third week, I opened up 80 new accounts. And oh by God. that time, the, everybody, and, and during those days, everything wasn't that sophisticated. You had to basically go in the back room and have one of the girls uh, assign an account number and do a lot of paperwork to get it all uh, correct into the system. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was not popular at that point in time, except with the management, (laughs) especially Joe Gennady. I mean, uh, he came over uh, to me and and he said, Jesus, he said, are you doing a job? My God. And uh, he says, you're opening accounts like mad, but you're not you're not investing any money because what I was doing is in order to get the accounts open, I was offering CDs. Uh, I wasn't selling sophisticated investments. I wasn't going crazy with uh, what they had. Uh, I forget where they had some kind of pooled money, which uh, you couldn't sell it after you've been into it. You had to wait a, a year or two before you could sell it. All I was t- doing was showing people CDs, and Merrill Lynch did sell CDs. They didn't make a lot of money, but uh, they attracted people who otherwise would be going to banks, and the rates were good. Okay. Um, but he said, but you're not you're not making any money. And I said, well, Joe, you told me to open new accounts. <laughs> yeah, but you got to make some money. Well, as luck would have it, the fourth month, uh, uh, Commonwealth Edison came out with a new offering at 16 and 5 eighths was the price. And um, when you when you bought stock on a new offering, there was no brokerage fee. So I started calling all these CD people and chatting with them. And I said, you know, I knew you got CDs and, and they're really good, but I, I'm sure you've heard of Commonwealth Edison, of course, who, who didn't. I said, you know, they're coming out with a new offering and I, you probably um, uh, send them money every 
month uh, for your electric bill, and then here's a chance to get an investment in them and and feel of, get the feeling of getting something back from them here. And okay. you, and you can get, buy these shares at sixteen dollars and sixteen and five eighths, which sixteen dollars and six twenty five cents, sixty two cents. Uh, and uh, but this should not influence you. There's no brokerage fee to do this. Well, of course it did influence them. <laughs> and so, needless to say, I opened up uh, so many, uh, uh, sold so much of this Commonwealth Edison that I, I did, um, I'm going to say I did about $10,000 worth of business that month, which was absolutely unheard of. Uh, Joe uh, sent Barbara uh, uh, some roses and a big old letter and all that yeah. kind of thing. And uh, it, 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 the other thing about Merrill Lynch is you got a, a $2,000 a month salary uh, when you started, and it was you, they kept it that way for a whole year. So you were guaranteed you get 2000 a month. Now, you couldn't hardly live on that, and but I had enough money. It didn't bother me that much. But if if you didn't um, earn the 2000 after uh, a year, then they would cut your commission completely and possibly even look to let you go. Mm. Well, after the sixth month, I was making uh, more than 2000 a month in commissions for them because uh, after the, uh, the uh, Commonwealth Edison, I got some other things to offer. And so it, it turned out to um, where I just told them, uh, you know, cut the, uh, the guaranteed 2000 I don't need them. Just let me have what I'm earning. And yeah. so, so it worked that way. Um, Why do you think, because um, it sounds like the opening of the accounts and offering CDs, that's coming from more of like an accounting world. Yes. Like, how do you think you took to this new profession so quickly? Well, the difference, there was two differences. Number one, I was one of the oldest people they hired. At that time, I started in 1980. So I was, uh, what, 46 years old. Most of the people that were being hired at that time were you know, people who had just got out of college or, or maybe uh, had worked at one other job, and they were in their 20s. Uh, as a matter of fact, I officed with a guy who was 20 years younger than me. Uh, I was 46. He was 26. He and I shared one office, uh, which was a cubicle more than anything. Well, although it did have glass and a door to go in, but it, it didn't wasn't a door you could close. Mm -hmm. And he sat in a desk on one side of the room, and I sat in a desk on the other side of the room. But um, the I think the difference was that uh, first of all, I think um, I. I I didn't oversell, uh, and I whatever I was showing them, I wanted to show them in a way where uh, I was trying to keep them from losing money. Now, obviously, you can lose money in the market, but mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't getting into a lot of sophisticated, uh, crazy type stuff. I was looking for stuff that was more stable, and I was also looking at for something that they could identify with, uh, right. company-wise or or whatever, and. Um, the other thing I did when this is a little longer term is I uh, went uh, to the newspaper people in Barrington uh, and they had a newspaper called uh, the Courier Review, which came out once a month. And so I went um, to them, I chatted with them, and I said, you know, I, I, I'd like to write an investment column for you. Okay. And, the, and the guy said, oh, well, you know, all you're going to do is be touting yourself. No, I said, well, here's my thought. I said, um, every, uh, and the magazine came out every week, uh, I will write a column uh, called Your Investments, and I will present different investments that people could consider. And uh, all I'm asking, is that the very last line says uh, Bill Bay is a financial consultant with Merrill Lynch in Northbrook, Illinois. Mm. That's all I ask. That I, 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 nothing else than that. Well, they turned up. They were willing to put my picture in the, in the in, 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 as consultant yeah. uh, as investments. And um, what helped is when I would talk to somebody who I was prospecting, uh, and we would talk about something. I, I would not only send them information, but I'd send them a copy of my cal my column, column yeah. and if there's anything that people worry about when they talk to a, a prospective broker who uh, how good is he or she and uh, how do I know they're successful and 
how do I know that they're re they're well represented? Well, it, you can't get more veracity than being in a newspaper. That's uh, where that uh, newspaper scholarship experience paid off. Right? It had nothing to do with that, but <laughs> but it, it uh, that was a delivery deal. Yeah. Uh, but I, what I would do uh, is. Um, as I say, send a column to them. And then the other thing I did uh, is I went over to the library and I asked them, do you ever do, and I did, they had different times where they would have sessions where they would introduce somebody was selling something and didn't have, and they didn't have an investment one. So I said, would, would, what would you think if uh, I ran a little um, a seminar, not even seminar, it was a, a, a deal where they came in uh, six to eight or something, or maybe Maybe it was seven to nine, um, and I would introduce different things like uh, your retirements yeah. or uh, uh, how to manage your money uh, in in this situation. It's like and a financial like. workshop. Yeah, 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 it was. And um, all I asked the them if I could do was just hand out a card, uh, telling them who I was in terms, and they could either fill it out and th uh, and in and then I would tell them when I uh, had the seminar, I'd say, now I'm, and they knew I was from Merrill Lynch, and I said, if you're a Merrill Lynch customer, just put that on your card, and I, I promise you I won't call you, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to your uh, financial consultant, and, uh, but I did get a lot of uh, other people who, uh, who responded to that, mm -hmm. and um, there again, it was an, an opportunity to get visibility and credibility. Right. Uh, those are the two things you're trying to get when you're a salesman, visibility mm -hmm. and credibility. I so see. being on a semin doing seminars uh, at the library, and, uh, uh, and there's two things about uh, speaking. I never was into public speaking. Um, I'm not necessarily somebody who's... Uh, uh, overly, I have some shyness about me, but I had two advantages. Uh, number one is I was nearsighted, so what I would do is I would do my seminar without my glasses on, mm. so I could look right in the eye of anybody I wanted to. And by the way, if I had anybody visit me in the office, I also didn't wear my glasses mm -hmm. uh, unless I was looking up something, and uh, and that made sense. But yeah. I could look right in their eye, or uh, if they were waving their hand on the seminar, I could see. Them, right. I could talk right to them, and I wasn't really uh, threatened by that because I really didn't see them as comfortably yeah. as you would. That was one thing. And then okay. number two was I always had a martini or two before the seminar. <laughs> That's <laughs> a fact. A bit, yeah. That's a fact because uh -huh. that one thing that does is, uh, again, it cuts down the reserve. And I, I didn't have more than one or two martinis because obviously I didn't want to get sloppy. But at no. the, but it did it did get rid of the, uh, the nervous that you could have yeah. uh, going into this. And uh, one thing I remember specifically, uh, there was, and by the way, the uh, uh, the libraries would put in their newsletters that there was going to be a seminar and it was going to be on such and such. And I remember I, I, I made a mistake and it was supposed to be on, on uh, uh, government securities and I thought it was on retirement savings. Yeah. And so I start on that, somebody raises it. Aren't we talking about government securities? I said, oh my gosh. I said, I have a lot of material on government securities. I'm gonna, we're gonna talk about it, and the only thing uh, you're gonna come up short on tonight is because I don't have the material on that, but I'm giving you cards here anyway, mm -hmm. and if you just put your address on, and no obligation, I'll be happy to send that to you. But uh, I said, believe it or not, that's the first time that's happened uh, mm -hmm. to me, and it was. Um, the, the other thing that happened too is because I started doing that, uh, Joe apparently must have told somebody, and they got interested at Merrill Lynch, and uh, they offered me a chance to go to New York and uh, explain to um, future brokers who were uh, like I was there studying before you took the exam and explain how you can, quote, be a successful broker. So, yeah. and I didn't tell them about the martinis, uh, but, I, <laughs> but I did tell them, you know, things that they could, that they could do to be successful um, and uh, it, it, how to approach it. Uh, a lot of people were overselling uh, products that where you could make a lot of money, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, it was difficult 
well to for people to understand and yeah. I, I can guarantee you that uh, uh, it, it's not a good thing and then interestingly enough there were this was at a time when the, the women's before they had children were working too so mm-hmm. if a guy was married uh, the wife would be on the phone and jabbering about something or, or they had shared things he had to buy the groceries she had to take them in or she bought the groceries so they they were always getting calls to be home at a certain time are you going Barbara never called me and bugged me about that. I, I was on my own, and it gave me a chance to do these kinds of things because we had a, a deal. We were partners. She was, uh, I was the worker in, in outside making the money, and she was the person raising the family. Right. Um, so you had that, an that interesting story about that. I was working so many hours one time, uh, consecutive days, um, and uh, Cheryl was... Um, she was up chatting with me in the morning uh, and, and before I'd go to work. And I thought, mm-hmm. gee, that's really nice. Because I had to catch an early train sometimes, many times before the kids were even up. Right. And I thought, gee, that's really nice that she's uh, uh, to, to talk with her. Well, mm-hmm. it was about a week or so later. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, at, it's in, I'm in bed and I'm hearing a noise. She had gotten out of bed and hid under our bed so that she would hear me when I got up so she could talk to me. Oh, that's sweet. Me Needless to say, I stopped working that many hours for a while. Yeah. What I was doing is I was taking myself from her, mm-hmm. and she was covering the base, but doing it that way, uh, right. which is very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, so I, anyway, I, I, they, I went to New York and uh, I was training the, um, the people uh, as to how to uh, get started. And one of the things I, I clearly learned uh, is I wasn't going to be an insurance salesman who came to the door. I wanted to do the business in the office. I wanted mm-hmm. to make appointments so they could come to my place. Right. Uh, but ever so often there'd be somebody with a lot of money where you had to come to her place or his place. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I used the analogy when I was talking to the uh, the staff uh, in New York. I said the only thing that ha- a lot of things that can happen. I says you can you can open the door and the dog can come at you and you're a question mark. I said because he's going for you know what and you're you're all bent over. What you really want to do is whack him on the nose, but that'll right. that'll never get you the sale. And I said and then as you're starting to talk to somebody, the phone rings and then they got to go and get on the phone. I said yeah. you have no control control over things get people to come to your place whatever it takes and if you can't get them to do it unless they got enough money where it really makes a difference do not do not uh go to the house it makes absolutely no sense, no sense. uh i'm taking notes bill huh? mental notes i'm taking these well down. that's true i mean yeah. that that that's the way it worked and uh, uh the other thing is uh one, i work saturdays uh clearly always work saturdays because there would be people who would be working during the day and only available saturday mm-hmm. and i remember um uh talking to um to somebody how did that go now oh uh, i was talking to somebody in the morning uh, about um, uh, investing in, in some products with me and uh, he he said you know i've got to, i got to go this afternoon to uh, talk to and i don't know what it was I mean, he was buying a car or something and, and my salesman isn't going to be available this afternoon cuz he's going to see his broker mm. guess what i was his broker too <laughs> i said oh really i said his broker from Maryland? i said I think he, he said I think he is he, he and uh, it, and I said oh what's your salesman's name and he told me the name and I said oh okay <laughs> I've heard about him and yeah and he nice was guy. my customer too <laughs> small world uh, so you're um, you're advising people to you're introducing stocks or not stocks well, but like investments investments that yes. people are f- familiar yes. with and yes. that that'll make more for them in the yes. long term and I got the another thing I did is I got the reverse directory for Palatine they did not have any brokerage offices in Palatine. And the reverse directory is, is what it's got. It's got addresses and phone numbers of people who live there. And then you just call and, uh, and you, you try to uh, get them interested enough to come in and see you. Uh, 
and uh, or at least interested enough in something so you can send them literature. One of which is my my uh, your column, my column in the paper, of course, which mm-hmm. really helps. Uh, yeah. It really did help. Merrill Lynch came out with a product. Uh, was an insurance product that was backed by uh, a guarantee. Uh, some um, ins- uh, it was going. I'm going to say a banking group, a savings and loan group, were banking this product. And I, I really sold a lot of the product. Well, guess what? The savings and loan went belly up. Mm. And I, I must have had easily 30 or more people who had invested in that. And I was on the phone until, I'm going to say almost midnight. I have called every one of them. I explained to them what happened. I apologized for what happened. And I had, some people were crying. Yeah. I mean, it was just brutal. But I learned something, and that is that Merrill doesn't necessarily, uh, and this was, I thought, completely safe. Hmm. But it turned out it, it wasn't safe. And yeah. uh, it was it was bad uh yeah and then i had another i had another customer in and, and i see him in church interestingly enough he he lived in barrington and i was picking stocks for him and i i, I think about the sixth or seventh stock i picked everyone went belly up not belly up but lost money yeah and finally he said to me billy said you've had six stocks you've picked for me and not a one of them has have has made money for me what would you do if if you were in my shoes i said i'd fire my broker (laughs) he said you're on (laughs) oh my god (laughs) and as fate would have it he goes to the same church i do and now that i'm retired years and years later i see him in church and i say hello to him (laughs) does he stand by his small uh, world (laughs) did he stand by his decision oh yeah he left me (laughs) i would have left me at that but you know when you start picking certain stocks and they don't work out you get so nervous about uh picking i want to get the right one now for this one because i didn't make a money on that one and then that right one isn't right and uh, it it really it it snowballs and you decide yourself damn uh, i'm glad we got to that conclusion it's like a different form of gambling (laughs) well as long as he didn't tell a lot of people how bad i was but (laughs) if you think about it when you're when you're in barrington which is a small community Mm -hmm. uh your name is it's pretty well known. So, yeah. how do you bounce back from something like that? This is when they, um, when all these stocks were were losing money. Yes, that was there. We had a terrible time. Uh, I'm going to say in '87, uh, the market just tanked. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was on a cruise. Uh, compliments of Merrill Lynch because they had different award trips based on how well, how, how well you did. And believe it or not, I I ended up being in the top one percent of their brokers. They had ten thousand brokers and I was in the top 100. Wow. So I won a lot of different trips. Uh, and we had uh, two trips a year you could win, one for production and one for new accounts. And I always opened a lot of new accounts. Mm-hmm. So uh, Barbara and I would, and we went to we went to places, you know, we were, we were in uh, um, China, we were in Australia, we were in uh, Egypt, uh, we, we were in uh, um, uh, Rome, uh, Vienna, Roman Vienna was one of the trips and there were several cruises that we took Um, so anyway this was on a cruise to Alaska where we aborted the ship at the World's Fair in Vancouver, and then we went up to Alaska when it all hit the fan. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to see how people reacted. I mean, people got off the boat and they're going crazy. Yeah. And there was nothing I could do. I mean, I can't change the market. When I got back, I called them and we went over things. Uh, but um, by that time, as fate would have it, uh, the thing kind of settled down. There was a, it was about one week that it really, really really was bad and i happened to be on the cruise at that time so there was really no opportunities to even get to a telephone because the line was huge yeah (laughs) everybody's jumping off the ship going running to get a phone but it was it was a good business and uh, clearly it was uh the business i was in until i retired um i started in 1980 and i did it till 1997 i will say this though that two things happened there the fellow that was in the office with me 
as time went by, they built an, uh, they took up the third floor uh, of this uh, building we were at, and they had private offices. And Joe took him and I up there, and this was, about, I'm going to say, a year or two after we had started. And he said, these offices are yours, each of you. We have an office here if you do so much business. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, John didn't get the office because he, he didn't do enough business. I did the, get the office. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I the difference was I was always there. Um, and yeah, Joe Saturday. had a habit. Uh, I used to say we're all gladiators. His last name is Gennady in the Gennady arena because he'd find somebody who was doing well. And and then if they were slacking or something, he'd go and say, well, look what Bill's doing here. I mean, yeah. he's doing this here. And we had a guy named Mark Fine who was a very good salesman. And all of a sudden he's hanging around me. And I said, Mark, has Joe put you on me here? Are you my gladiator? <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. said, well, he did say I should stop by. <laughs> and right. I said, Don't worry, Mark. I won't get you next month. You're, you got a much more clientele than I have. Yeah, yeah. Weird stuff would happen like that. Do you ever miss the your days at Merrill Lynch? No, no. I, you know, the, the one thing I, I, I told people, and, I, and a lot of people never thought I could retire because I was so, uh, well. You're caught we, up with it. What we did, which is another part of the story, is after a certain point in time, I went to Joe and I said, Joe, I'm I'm going to, I think, leave Merrill Lynch and go to E.F. Hutton. And he said, why would you want to do that? And I said, well, they have an office in Barrington and uh, the traffic now getting to Northbrook is taking me longer. It used to be half an hour. Now it's taking me 45 minutes mm-hmm. each way. And I said, uh, the office in Barrington, he said, I'll open it. We'll get an office open for you. I said, Joe, how the hell are you going to do that? He said, don't worry. It's my job. Give me a year and we'll get an office open for you. Wow. Well, that year, that the, when the market was so bad, Merrill opened only two offices mm. in the whole country, and one was Barrington, and one was for me. Wow. And he said, I'll make you the manager. I said, no, 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 Joe. I do not want to be the manager. The manager's got too many responsibilities. It would be like me being treasurer again. I've got to worry about all these other people. Right. I said, all I want to be able to do is hire a good support staff, and uh, you, uh, you can ch- take it out of what I would otherwise make to, for the support staff because I know what I want. I want mm-hmm. uh, certain kinds of people. And it's kind of funny because um, whenever another broker would uh, take one of my people, they'd be so happy and it was one I wanted to lose, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. after a, after a, uh, six months or so, geez, I didn't realize she did. I see, didn't ask me. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like baseball when you, you when a team thinks they're getting a good deal. and the, the Yeah, well, they thought, you know, she's this way because she's doing that and and no i mean you you know what you want Mm -hmm. and i think that was a big advantage i had over a young kid who's uh, getting out of college i mean they've never managed people and they don't know how to uh, each person's different you know how to talk to them you know what they like you know what their moods are and you've got to basically inspire them to Mm -hmm. really want to be successful and be part of a of a winning team um and i had i remember everybody saying you got the best team and it's true I did I had the best team because I wouldn't take uh, uh, I wouldn't settle for less uh, right. and and if I didn't really want to get somebody I would kind of find a way that somebody else would hire them uh, from me and it worked so you were you weren't a manager but you're kind of grooming this staff yeah so. what I had is uh, I, that's another thing when I went to Barrington I wanted the back office I didn't want to be sitting in the front uh, by the window uh, where the traffic was I wanted to be in the back because um, the way that office, and I'll show it to you uh, uh, tomorrow maybe, uh, yeah. definitely, uh, it, it was in the way in the back. Um, the train was back there, but basically there was no um, no traffic, be, uh, cars or anything. It was quiet back there, and I had an office with a door on, and the only person other had an office with a door on was the manager. Hmm. He was in the front, and uh, he and I got along very well, um, and he appreciated, you know, the fact that I was his biggest producer at the office, and uh, uh, it, it, it was very helpful. But then, interestingly enough, uh, Joe ended up hiring a guy um, who was a nice guy, uh, but uh, he made him a vice president. Mm-hmm. And in, in Merrill Lynch's thing, you had to work a certain amount of time before you could get 
uh, to different levels. And I, had, I was an assistant vice president at that time. And uh, next thing I know, uh, I see his business card. It says vice president. And I said, Joe, what the hell's going on? It's, it, I, well, you know, that was part of the deal. I'll make you a vice president. Joe, I'm not going to be a vice president <laughs> that way. I am going to earn it. Right. Uh, oh, was I mad. <laughs> yeah, it felt like he uh, swindled yeah. you a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and there, was a, there was another thing Joe promised me. Uh, if I made a certain amount of production, he would give me $10,000 allotment uh, for expenses. Mm. And so I would, we'd go to uh, Lou Melnati's on Friday, and I'd be writing it off and all that kind of thing. Um, and so this one uh, day, uh, the manager comes in and said, Bill, you know, I, I've got bad news for you. And I said, what's that? He said, um, we can't honor this uh, allotment anymore in terms of your expenses. And I said, that was my deal with Joe. I said, no, if I don't do the production or if he wants to change it, he can't change it in the middle of the year. He's got to change it at the end of the year because we had a deal. Yeah. He said, well, I'm sorry, that's the deal. And I said, Brad, I said, uh, tell Joe I'm on my way home, but I, I'm not coming back. Uh, and uh, so I come home and Barbara says, what are you doing here? And I said, I think I just quit. And uh, <laughs> she said, you quit? And I said, yeah, I didn't like the way they did it and it, it's not right and well I, I wasn't here more than an hour and and uh, the manager calls and said we can we get together uh, for lunch and uh, and so he said there was a bit of a misunderstanding and I don't know if the manager made that decision or whether yeah. Joe did but in any event they kept the allotment going they didn't continue it after the end of the year which was fine right that was that you know when you make a deal you stand by it and and yeah. uh, and, and I did I actually walked right off the job <laughs> yeah finish what you started yeah well yeah. i looked at it this way if if uh, i ended up leaving merrill i would have had to work hard to get these customers to switch to another brokerage firm because i know another brokerage firm would have hired me sure uh, as a matter of fact a lot of brokers do leave where they are and get a big amount of upfront money to go uh to go uh, to another firm and, and with the theory that they're going to take the customers with them i never mm -hmm. did that i stayed at merrill all the way yeah you mentioned earlier that uh Cheryl was hiding under your bed to get more of your attention. Yes. Uh, you're, you're at this office in Barrington now. Did you find that you had more time for your family? I did. I did. Cheryl? Although I also found I worked on Sundays and because, you know, the family sometimes didn't get up all that early mm -hmm. and uh, I could scoot over there. But it, it really made it nice because at that time, you know, Billy was still very much into into sports. Katie was into sports. And so I'd uh, uh, put a, uh, other clothes in the trunk of the car and then. Uh, I'd go uh, whenever they had a game like uh, I was able to then go down and get the clothes out of the car change in the, in the washroom at the office mm -hmm. and go and tend all their games uh, I could uh, it, 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 you know I was able to do that and fit it in right. uh, the other thing I did is uh, at lunchtime I went running I would go out uh, and switch into a, some running shorts and whatever and I'd, I'd run for an hour in uh, wherever it took me I'd go either north or south, east, or west from the office, and and uh, and I felt very good. I, I I never went to the health club in those days, but I mm. was, uh, which you know, partly I think is what accounted for my running my first marathon when I was 61 and yeah. that has impressed a lot of people I never finished really great but I always finished but I yeah. never I never had great times but I finished so you found you're able to do these these things you couldn't before like yes. running and yes like, go to your kids I, was, I was my own boss uh, yeah. to a great degree and the only thing I you only were you measured by how much money you brought in and how mm -hmm. how if your customers weren't complaining obviously and if you were there and I was always there and um, my desk was relatively clean um, I, I I wasn't one of these guys who was a, a rat pack As a matter of fact I had a, a neighbor here who was a broker out there and he had the office next to me he didn't have a door on his and his stuff just piled up like you couldn't believe it was unbelievable it, was, it, it got annoying because when I'd see my customers go in and they'd see that crap I'd think to myself Jesus I mean they must really wonder what kind of place we got so I got a piece 
piece of Limburger cheese and I stuck it underneath some of his paper and after a, uh, less than a week he started noticing there was a problem. <laughs> yeah, he got the message. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Joe, to, uh, to Joe's credit, when he'd come in the office and he'd see that office, he'd just take his arm and he'd clean off the desk, just sweep it right off the desk here, <laughs> all the papers and everything. Yeah. But uh, you no, know, and I, we had some nice people out there, uh, and like I said, we had some just some awesome trips that uh, that Barb and I took. You um, can't believe and all paid for uh, by Merrill Lynch. Uh, now we had we had attend sessions there too, you know, and I think I maybe had to pay for her airfare. But she, we even went to the Olympics. One of the trips was to the Olympics in Calgary, uh, Canada. Um, just uh, oh, the places we went. <laughs> Do you ever think about going back to the library and uh, teaching your your seminars again? Oh no, I don't want to do. It. Oh, that was a, another thing I said once I retired, and that was interesting. The day I retired, we ha- they had a party for me, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, we all got together. And at that time, they had a different manager, and he was a sob, yeah. uh, and I I didn't like him at all. Um, and uh, uh, so I I made a little speech. <laughs> <laughs> With the martini, two martinis. In. I had the martini, so I was revealing something. But yeah. I do remember a couple people asking me if if they wanted me to help, uh, have them help uh, them me uh, carry my stuff out. And I said, No, I waited too long for this. I'm carrying all my stuff out by myself. There's there's no way in which I'm I'm going to need any help. And I, I'm definitely. And they said, Well, you you'll be back. As a matter of fact, they actually gave me my desk and things like that. Uh, it's down in the down in the basement in the office down there. Mm. Um, yeah, another thing, I was working um, on the day that 9-11 took place. Uh, no, that wasn't the one. There was, oh, there was a, a big uh, murder over here at one of the um, uh, restaurants, sort of like a McDonald's, and uh, uh, they had uh, they had shot and killed four or five people in there, Jeez. and that got and I was working that day. It, it was a Sunday that I guess it happened Saturday night or something, and mm-hmm. they announced it on Sunday, and everybody was going crazy about it. But I bet. yeah, it was, it was interesting. I met a lot of people, um, and. Uh, I, I never really socialized with my customers uh, yeah. because I, I really felt I'd take them to lunch. You know, if I had, you know, if a decent customer and, and it made some sense to do it. Sure. Um, and I could get them a ticket to the Blackhawks or something like that. Yeah. But I didn't go to the Blackhawks with them. I didn't want I didn't want to get that that tight with them. I didn't want to mix business. with I, pleasure. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, and it worked better that way, uh, I thought. Um it, it 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 was a nice way to um conduct the business uh i i remember i i, I pulled up to a stoplight and uh next to me pulls up a customer of mine and uh he's uh he's, uh, he says i didn't realize my broker drove a cadillac and I said, Joe, his name wasn't Joe Irv, I think his name was. I said, Irv, you wouldn't want a broker who couldn't afford a Cadillac. Oh, I drove your Cadillac today. I know, but I, you afford. know what I was saying? Yeah, I said, yeah. you want a, I said, you wouldn't want a broker who wasn't successful enough to drive a Cadillac. Yeah. And uh, Good point. he says, you got a point. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, backtracking a little bit, but you mentioned uh, uh, earlier that as an auditor, you you felt like you were finding the mistakes, yes. um, and you you feel that you carried that over into your like personal life. I, I, too. I did at that time. At I think time. I got more positive when I became a salesman, uh, okay. as distinguished from an auditor. Mm-hmm. Um, although, uh, as I've I think I've told a lot of people, when you become an attorney. Um, you you have to be able to see both sides of everything mm-hmm. because in theory an attorney has to be able to represent either the uh, prosecution or the defense and um, so whenever I saw something or something came up I'd always try not to make have an opinion mm-hmm. as a matter of fact I read somewhere where attorney can never have an opinion because they're always thinking on both sides and frankly that's me politically uh, I we have I have so many friends that 
that are uh, down in the wool Republicans. We went to a diner round uh, Saturday night, and all we kept hearing is how Trump is getting screwed and how Trump did this and Trump uh, they are doing that to him. And right. and I had a, a, a again, and I always preface this by saying, now I'm a true independent, and I'm going to say something that I hope you don't think I'm anti-Trump, but if you just think about what I'm saying. I think you'll agree with me. Trump got elected because when there were 17 people running for president on the Republican ticket, any time any one of them came up with something that they believed in or that they felt about, the media, because Trump was so well-known, always found a way to compare it or uh, get Trump into the picture, uh, how he felt about that. Yeah. And it was always them against Trump. Uh, and even when they had their um, their debates, uh, he was the centerpiece. Uh, and so that media had basically got him uh, nominated. There was no yeah. question in my mind he would have not gotten nominated if the media hadn't focused so much more on him than on any of the other individual ones. I'm right. not saying that he got the, all of the attention. I'm just saying when anybody, Rubio said something or whatever he said something, it was always, well, you know, Trump says this or Trump yeah. believes that. Yeah. And so that same media that got him in is the same media now that's having fun with him being in uh, because he's he's uh, uh, news. And if yeah. you're in the media, that's what news is all about. Dirty, uh, dirty laundry. Yeah. So many Many of my friends, they get the right news from Fox because Fox is the true news. Uh, they, <laughs> For them, yeah. and, and in reality, Fox is, does provide a very, very important thing because so much of, as I told you about what I said to Ted Koppel, that so much, uh, 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 everything is liberal pretty much. Yeah, and, and media. And so you need uh, Fox to give it some balance. And mm -hmm. like I said, on Sundays, I always watch all four news uh, things, mainly the, uh, the, the roundtable people, and because yeah. I, I, I want to hear whatever everybody is saying yeah uh, i think that's good i think you need to watch you need both. balance yeah you need balance you yeah. can't be all the other and i admire somebody who actually knows what they how they believe and are i had a we had a guy this very good friend of mine who uh, uh ended up losing some money and i had to be so careful with him uh told us told me that Rand paul is the only guy that really knows what's going on well as you know Rand paul is a very very conservative republican and currently now is one of the two uh, Republican senators, at least two, who will not vote for the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. um, and I also, you see, I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> You're and, entitled to opinions. Yeah, well, and that's another thing. I, I said if they really want to get the Democrats to vote for, uh, to get off of them, of, of them only being uh, combined and not voting for the Republican side, Take the word repeal out. If you could just take the word repeal out, you'd get some votes. Because the goal here is we're going to repeal and replace, as what the Republicans are saying. And the Democrats, when they hear the word repeal, what you're saying is the whole act that Obama came up with was bad. Yeah. It's got to be repealed. And the minute you agree to repeat, that it, repealing should take place, you're automatically saying the Obama Act was wrong. Wrong. It right. needs to be replaced. Yeah. Whereas if you say uh, that we, we want to um, uh, adjust it, reform it, or reform is not the right word, we want to uh, make it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, and I think the Democrats would agree that there, it should be made better. Yeah, branding is so important, too, because you, you ask somebody whether they like the Affordable Care Act, and they're like, yeah, I'm all for it, you know? And if you ask them, the same person if they like Obamacare, it's the same thing, just yeah. with a different name. They have yeah. a different opinion. All yeah, of a sudden, and so. and uh, yeah, obviously affordable care. If you think about it, and you put if you look at it, there's a lot of non-affordable stuff with it. But then right. you look at the Republican plan, and a lot of things that were afford are not going to be affordable. And the major thing that I 
I and I, I've avoided getting too close to it, but there's no question that under the uh, Affordable Care Act, um, the Medicare portion has grown substantially mm -hmm. because they're taking in people who are disabled and and uh, opiate op, opium people. What, what I'm not saying opiate addiction. Yes, addicted people, yes, addicted people cancer people, uh -huh. and uh, and uh, uh, like uh, Britt Hume said uh, yesterday, he said uh, what. Is, this is is it's like having auto insurance and you you buy it after you have the accident and then when you have the accident you say okay now I want to get auto insurance for my car which is totally disabled and we need to get it fixed uh, yeah but now you're not dealing with a car you're dealing with a human so there's a lot of different situations there yeah so the goal is to try to keep an open objective yeah, yeah. mind so Merrill Lynch was uh, was a very interesting job uh, it was something that uh, I met a lot of people, uh, and uh, on these trips, I, I even met uh, guys that were up to high er hierarchy at, at Merrill Lynch. Um, I stopped doing the seminars. Uh, you know, once I had a, a, a viable clientele, sure. um, and I did one of the things I, I opened up to, which was very, very successful. Um, I happened to get uh, several Sears Roebuck retirees who had uh, pension funds that were easily 500000 or more. And once the word got out that I was the guy to see, it was interesting because I was picking up really very successful. Uh, and you know, if you're a, 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 a Sears employee, um, you don't necessarily know finances and things like that. And you, you build up a, a, a good uh, a pension fund. And may, these were mainly all state people. And uh, they need somebody who's going to protect their money and take care of it. And I really put them in, in very um, secure type things. Sure, we had, uh, depending on how their comfort level was uh, reaching out. Uh, now, now things are different. Uh, back in those days, you had to pick stocks. Now everybody gets money managers, uh, and then they can blame the money manager, not themselves. All right. All right. Well, I think um, that was an even more fruitful episode than the last one. I learned a lot, and uh, I'm going to take that nearsighted thing to heart because I'm also nearsighted. And uh, when I speak publicly, I might just like go without glasses now absolutely and definitely have a march because you can too. see everything else you know if they wave their hand or if they mm -hmm. frown or something like that or even when i had them in the office i could look right in their eyes and not and not see them yeah you don't feel as threatened no i don't not at all i mean and and a of course, I'm sure when they're talking to you across a desk, if you avoid uh, eye contact, that sends a signal that you don't want signals sent. Right. It's easier to make eye contact because yeah. you're not really making yeah, contact. Yeah, and, and I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking. About All it. right. Take care. But to get off of them, of, of them only being uh, combined and not voting for the Republican side, Take the word repeal out. If you could just take the word repeal out, you'd get some votes. Because the goal here is we're going to repeal and replace, as what the Republicans are saying. And the Democrats, when they hear the word repeal, what you're saying is the whole act that Obama came up with was bad. Yeah. It's got to be repealed. And the minute you agree to repeat that it, repealing should take place, you're automatically saying the Obama Act was wrong. Wrong. It right. needs to be replaced. Yeah. Whereas if you say uh, that we, we want to um, uh, adjust it, reform it, or reform is not the right word, we want to uh, make it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, and I think the Democrats would agree that there, it should be made better. Yeah, branding is so important, too, because you, you ask somebody whether they like the Affordable Care Act, and they're like, yeah, I'm all for it, you know? And if you ask them, the same person if they like Obamacare, it's the same thing, just yeah. with a different name. They have yeah. a different opinion. All yeah, of a sudden, and so. and uh, yeah, obviously affordable care. If you think about it, and you put if you look at it, there's a lot of non-affordable stuff with it. But then right. you look at the Republican plan, and a lot of things that were afford are not going to be affordable. And the major thing that I 
I and I, I've avoided getting too close to it, but there's no question that under the uh, Affordable Care Act, um, the Medicare portion has grown substantially mm -hmm. because they're taking in people who are disabled and and uh, opiate op, opium people. What, what I'm not saying opiate addiction. Yes, addicted people. Yes, addicted people, cancer people, uh -huh. and uh, and uh, uh, like uh, Britt Hume said uh, yesterday, he said uh, what. Is, this is is it's like having auto insurance and you you buy it after you have the accident and then when you have the accident you say okay now I want to get auto insurance for my car which is totally disabled and we need to get it fixed uh, yeah but now you're not dealing with a car you're dealing with a human so there's a lot of different situations there yeah so the goal is to try to keep an open objective yeah, yeah. mind so Merrill Lynch was uh, was a very interesting job uh, it was something that uh, I met a lot of people, uh, and uh, on these trips, I, I even met uh, guys that were up to high hierarchy at, at Merrill Lynch. Um, I stopped doing the seminars. Uh, you know, once I had a, a, a viable clientele, sure. um, and I did one of the things I, I opened up to, which was very, very successful. Um, I happened to get uh, several Sears Roebuck retirees who had uh, pension funds that were easily 500000 or more. And once the word got out that I was the guy to see, it was interesting because I was picking up really very successful. Uh, and, you know, if you're a, 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 a Sears employee, um, you don't necessarily know finances and things like that. And you, you build up a, a, a good uh, a pension fund. And may, these were mainly all state people, and um, they need somebody who's going to protect their money and take care of it. And I really put them in in very um, secure type things. Sure, we had, uh, depending on how their comfort level was uh, reaching out. Now, now things are different. Uh, back in those days, you had to pick stocks. Now everybody gets money managers, uh, and then they can blame the money manager, not themselves. Right. Right. Well, I think. Um, that was an even more fruitful episode than the last one. I learned a lot, and uh, I'm going to take that nearsighted thing to heart because I'm also nearsighted. And uh, when I speak publicly, I might just like go without glasses now. Absolutely, and definitely have a martini because you can see everything else. You know, if they wave their hand or if they mm -hmm. frown or something like that, or even when I had them in the office, I could look right in their eyes and not and not see them. Yeah, you don't feel as threatened. No, I don't. Not at all. I mean, and and. Uh, of course, I'm sure when they're talking to you across a desk, if you avoid uh, eye contact, that sends a signal that you don't want signals sent. Right. It's easier to make eye contact because yeah. you're not really making yeah, contact. Yeah, and, and I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking. About All right. Take care.